and you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. I want to open up your Bibles. I want to get right in today to John chapter 12. Today's Palm Sunday, and it's actually a very special day. Um, a lot of times this would be a day that we would brush over and wait for Easter, but really what happened in Easter started on Palm Sunday. It was this embracing, Jesus embracing the reason that the Father sent him to come and to give his life so you can live free. Say, I am free. I am free. Let's try it again. I am free. free. You may not feel free. Your circumstances may, may, may tell you different, but the reality is Jesus rode in on a donkey over 2,000 years ago so that you can live in freedom. Not a partial freedom, not a freedom that is dangled in front of you and you say, well, maybe one day it's true, real freedom. And it started on this day. It was a day where Jesus embraced what was for him a very painful season. He said, well, it was Jesus. Well, no, I remember reading about him saying, if there's any other way. Because the things that Jesus had to embrace for us to achieve this freedom and for us to have these God encounters, it was heaven went bankrupt. It was heaven's best. And so sometimes, and here's the question I would want to pose to you today, if you're sitting in this room, every single one of you, more than likely at one point or another, you had an experience or an encounter with Jesus. How many of you would say you've had that? All over the room, every single week, people have encounters with Jesus, real life-changing moments. The Bible would call them a kairos moment. It would be a moment where God came, and when that moment happened, it changed everything, the direction of your life. It's like you were once living in Channing and Fishhawk, and now you're crossing the country. It's this moment that happens where God calls you, and you don't know how you can't shake it. You just know that everything shifted on this day. And the question I would have for you today is, what are you doing with your encounter? What are you doing with the moment where God came in, Jesus literally crashing on your life, And on that moment, whether it was salvation, because we love to minimize that. Now, listen, we're a part of the charismatic stream, and part of my fear is that we lose lose value for the power of salvation, and we would elevate miracle signs and wonders above that. Meaning we would say, oh man, God didn't heal a back this week, and we minimize that God would save three three hearts and change them. Are you with me? That we would value that a change and transformed life is the greatest miracle ever. And so maybe that's your only encounter. I'm asking you, what have you done with what has happened in your life? Because listen, circumstances, situations, encounters don't, they they don't, if if there is not a continuation of what happened that day, nothing will change. You understand you are, you are called to co-labor with Christ, meaning you have to do some work too. That's the reason that sometimes people come to church week after week after week and say, well, I just, I just don't feel it or I haven't been changed. It's because the Lord is calling you to partner with him. And so a perfect example of this is happening in John 12, where there's a group of people, and I'm going to start a little earlier. I know most people start at 12, in 12 verse 12, but I want to start in the beginning here. It says, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived at Bethany. And this is a story we've talked about many, many times, but I want you to see this. He arrives at Bethany at the home of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus, a couple of chapters before, he had been raised from the dead. How many of you know that's pretty extravagant? Like, Jesus had been raised from the dead, and what's happening here is they're throwing a party for Jesus. Because if you were dead and you got rose back, you'd be throwing Jesus the party too. Okay? This is what's going on. 
Lazarus was raised from the dead. Everybody's like, oh my goodness. Like, there's resurrection power. And people had a new revelation of who Jesus was. Not only did he have good teachings, not only was there authority, not only did I see, but now this guy got raised from the dead. And so here's Jesus, and he goes to his house, and it said Martha was serving a dinner, and Lazarus was there. And then here comes Mary, and she took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house filled with the fragrance of Jesus and the woman. And I just love this. You may see this and you say, what does this have to do with, with, with Palm Sunday or anything? It's everything. Because Jesus was about to be prepared. His body was being prepared for the ultimate sacrifice. And in a culture like today, where we tell people, listen, I grew up this way. If, you, if I was to cry or feel emotional, don't cry. Don't feel. Men don't cry. Real men don't, and we did what happens every week at church. People come to me, when that worship song was happening, I just, it's like I wanted to cry, and then I went, no. I'm like, why? Why? I don't know why we live in a culture where we are afraid to feel, or to experience, or to embrace. And what I love about this story is here's a woman who, it did not matter what anybody thought. Like everyone around her was like, it doesn't take that, doesn't have to look that way. But in this moment, she was preparing Jesus for his ultimate calling, his ultimate, everything that he came to the earth to do was happening. He was about to embrace that in this day. And here's a woman sitting at his feet saying, in this moment, I just want to sit with you. And so Judas, the disciple who would betray him, said that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money should have been given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, for he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, often he stole some for himself. And I just think this is crazy. Because this, this is so Jesus. Oftentimes we look at people and we say, well, why would you put that person in that position? Understand, understand the train of thought. But how many of you know Jesus knew before that Judas was a thief? Yet he put him in charge of the money. Listen, it just shows you the heart of God of redemption. Yeah. I trust you enough to give you the choice because without choice, there cannot be love. Yeah. Well, why is there evil? Because we have, we have choice and free will. Yeah. And without choice and free will, you cannot truly love. Right. It's like me walking up to my wife and saying, you have to love me. You have, no. The way this relationship works is I love her and she loves me and it is a choice. Yeah. Love chooses. And so here's Judas, and he's having this fit, and, and it's just crazy because this is what always happens. We see it week after week where people would look at extravagant acts of worship and say, it doesn't take all that. You don't have to worship that way. You don't have to sing the same thing over and over because they can't understand that in this moment, I'm not worshiping. We tell our worship team, you don't worship unto man. We were trained this way in ministry school. This is how we were trained. You got to watch the crowd, lead the crowd. And if the crowd's not into it, you have to figure out a way. This is just madness. You have to figure out a way to re-engage them as if we are the spirit. Wow. Now, the reason, the reason atmospheres change and you feel them shift on Sunday morning is when the attention, it goes off of you and unto him. You can, you can pass this on to any single situation in your life where you're trying to make something happen, you're trying to manipulate it, you're trying to make something happen for yourself, when instead all you would, do, all you would really need to do is fix your eyes on his greatness. 
You say, well, I don't, I don't see how fixing my eyes on his greatness would make everything happen. It's not about understanding. It's about trust. That's why we are called people of faith. And so follow me. John 12, all of these people begin to gather. Mary of Bethany wipes his feet. She's preparing him. And the Bible says this. I'm going to pop down. Jesus said, leave her alone. You don't understand. You'll have them. And then they said, when Jesus, when all the people heard Jesus arrive, his arrival, they flocked to see him. But catch this, also to see Lazarus. So now people begin to hear that Jesus is at the house of Mary at Bethany. And people begin to hear Lazarus is there. So not only are they intrigued to see Jesus, the person who resurrects, but now they're also interested to see the miracle. I need you to hear me and follow me for a second. Because it becomes very, very, very easy to become in love with the miracle worker and the miracle and miss the person of Jesus. He agreed, Wes. He agreed. It's very easy to become enamored with the things of God and not know him. You say, well, how do I know that's true? Well, follow the story. Because all of a sudden, people hear, here's Lazarus, here's Jesus, let's go see them. And as Jesus walks in, they are enamored with this man who's walking in. And as you read the scriptures, you know what, I'm not even going to read the whole progression. But Jesus comes in on a donkey. You, you go chapter, verse 12 and down. And I will read some. The next day, Jesus, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem is swept through the city. And a large crowd of Passover visitors were there. And they were there to do their sacrifice for the year to atone it was atonement that's how they were made right with god so the male would go to the place he would he would bring an offering and they would pay for the sins of the family for a year and they were all gathered there and all of a sudden now they hear jesus the miracle workers here and lazarus is here let's go see them and so as they come come in a large crowd of passover visitors took palm branches and they went down the road to meet him and they shouted this praise god if you read some of the earlier translation it says hosanna and then it says, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. And so follow me. Now Jesus is coming in to embrace destiny. And as he comes in, all of the people had gathered and they're singing his praises. Hosanna. Hosanna can mean multiple things. It can mean save us. It can mean praise be to God. But it was this implication that the king is finally here to save us. The Jews had gathered, and here's the fundamental underlying issue. Hear me. When Jesus rode in on the donkey, and they had read about this Messiah that was to come, their worldview, their idea of this Jesus was, Jesus is about to hostile takeover everything that's happening, which at that time was the Roman government. It would be like, Jesus is coming, and our president's gone, and Jesus is in charge now. Because they felt oppressed by the Roman government. Why is this important? Because Jesus is walking in, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise. And all throughout the Old Testament, you see that this is what it was prophesied about. These were not just words that were said. You understand? These were words, if you go to Psalms 118, it says this. Verse 22 said, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Speaking of Jesus. This is the day the Lord has made. And I will rejoice. How many of you heard that scripture? This is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Great scripture. And then it says this. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you. 
Rejoice, Hosanna. It's the, the, people of, the people in Psalms were literally prophesying what was going to happen thousands of years later. And this is important. Because when you read the Old Testament, you see that Daniel had prophesied the exact time. I don't have time to go into all the math. But, but trust me. The amount of days that Daniel prophesied in Daniel chapter 9, he said this would happen 70 times 7. All of these days, the day that Jesus walked in on that day, on that donkey, was the exact day Daniel had prophesied about. And so as Jesus was coming in, they were believing this is the fulfillment of a prophecy. And Jesus is about to take over. And here's the crazy part to me. The very same people that as Jesus was walking in down the road were screaming Hosanna, laying their clothes and laying their palm branches down were the very same people that were standing in front of Pilate saying crucify him. And you would think to yourself, how? I don't know about you, but that's what I feel. No, 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 you mean on Friday, you, you mean midway through the week you're, you're, you're saying Hosanna, Hosanna, praise be to the Lord like you believe the Lord of the highest and by Thursday, Friday, you're saying, crucify him, here's the deal. And it's a tension we all deal with today. What happens when your expectation of who Jesus is and your experience don't meet? I'm serious about this. Because every single one of us, we have a worldview of how Jesus should do things, how he does do things, how he should do things. But the tension of where your faith is and who you really are lies in what happens when what I expect and what is happening does not line up. Yeah. Let's make it very practical. How many of you would say, Lord is provider? He provides. Yeah. Now, what happens when your bank account does not meet that expectation? Well, I just can't tithe today. I just, I just can't. I just can't afford it. I get it. I've been there. I've said that. But, but, but the truth of the matter is, regardless of your experience, he's still faithful. Regardless of them saying crucify him because they believed he was a false messiah at that point. And I understand it had to happen and it was a prophecy. But I'm talking about the heart of the issue. I'm talking about a group of people, of people who gathered around, I want to see Jesus, the miracle worker, not Jesus, the Messiah, and embrace him for who he really was. Yeah. And so we see people every week, they would come to church and they would say, Jesus, with their lips, and I'm not mad, I'm happy. I'm happy anytime Jesus, the name of Jesus would be exalted out of any mouth. But what I'm saying is we have to get to the place because God has more for you. We have to get to the place where your faith is not dictated by your experience or what you think, or what you feel. But that you would be able to, on Friday, even when Jesus doesn't come the way you want him to come, say, Jesus is Lord. Yes. Jesus is good. Yeah. This is our faith. That even the disciples, when Jesus said, I have to go be with the Father, and they're going to kill me, not even they understood. Jesus had to rebuke and say, <laughs> it just doesn't matter. He had to rebuke them. And so in the context of Palm Sunday, of your life, I'm asking you, this encounter that happened, the same way they had this encounter, I imagine this was a holy moment. Could you imagine thousands of people lining the road and Jesus is walking down the middle and you're worshiping him? We're, we're over 100 people here. And when we gather and we sing all in unison, something powerful happens. Imagine thousands of people and Jesus is in the flesh walking down the road. This shows me the power of discouragement. 
and the power of this expectation. And I wonder what would happen today in your life and in my life if we were to embrace Jesus fully in every season we walk through. The more I walk with Jesus, the more I have issues with some of the things we teach. Can I just be honest? I have, I have said from a stage, Envy, you know you've been with us long enough from the stage. Well, if you hear a prophetic word, you name it and you claim it. I, there may be a measure of that, but here's my issue with that. Can I be honest? What if I'm in a season of pruning and the person being prophesied is in a season of blessing? And so I say, I embrace that word, but it's not my season for that. Here's what happens. My heart becomes discouraged. And the Bible said hope deferred makes the heart sick. The Bible also says that out of my heart flow the issues of life. So follow the progression. Now I'm in a season where the Lord is trying to work something out of me, and there's somebody that God has already worked somebody, something out of. It's their season to come out of that season, and I'm sitting in my seat, I say, that's my word. But the Lord is like, no, 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 I'm still trying to prune you. Nobody amens when I talk about pruning. Like, what are you talking about, bro? I want to hear that. But this is what I found. So, so I'm going to write that word down. I'm going to name it. I'm going to claim it. But the problem is it's not that season for that word yet. You don't believe that there's different seasons. Read Ecclesiastes 3, how there is this time and a season for everything. And so if we're not careful, we'll be Monday Christians saying, praise you, Sunday Christians, praise you, Jesus. And by Friday, we say, I don't even know what I believe anymore. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Lord is saying, I have dreams. We talk a lot about revival at the church because we believe and it's coming. But revival starts in your heart. You're like, Lord, I want to preach the stadiums. And the Lord is like, how about you just watch how you talk about that person? Lord, use me to heal the sick and raise. Well, how about you watch what you say? Because how can I trust you with life if what comes out of your mouth is death? And I'm not being condemning. Listen, I love you. I'm trying to show you that there is a better way. That Jesus, listen, a lot of times during this season, we talk a lot about what Jesus died for and what we have been freed from. And next week we will. We'll talk about what happened that day, how you, you are now dead to sin, all of that stuff. We'll talk about it. But you're not just saved from something. You are saved unto something. You are not just saved from something. You are saved unto something. That means that... In Christianity, it's not just talking about what the Lord delivered us from. It's talking about now, what does life look like now? What should I be expecting? How should I be walking? How should I be talking? How does this affect my everyday life? Come on, let's be real. We don't want to just be Sunday Christians. Even if you're in here, you're like, Sunday's my best. The truth is, if you were living everything God had for you, you would be fulfilled. The fulfillment is not in the boat. It's not in money. It's not in a 401k. It's not in family members treating you the right way. It's in you being content in the season God has you in now. And so you read through revival history all of these people who have gone through different things. We were just talking outside this morning and it just resonated. I was talking with John and he was saying, you know, a lot of times we minimize the power of one person. I understand that. Like, can, can I, how many of you ever thought this? Can I really make a difference? Yeah. 
Like, if, even if I give my life, you look around, we're so swayed by the crowds. I would imagine that there were not thousands of people that started with crucify him. I would imagine it was two or three. And it picked up and it picked up because we're swayed by the masses. But if our mentality were to shift and we were to say, you know what, instead of, instead of being negative, I wonder, if my, <laughs> I wonder if me prophesying life could change the culture around me. I wonder if I began to speak life, prophesy. We've talked about the revival in Wales. 1903, God spoke to a little 22-year-old kid and gave him a vision of his nation that was called an unchristian nation and gave him a vision of 100,000 people being saved. Now, how many of you know when, when you don't have churches that are bigger than 25 people, 100,000 people is a stretch? Just a little bit. But the story of, of Evan Roberts shows you the power of someone who would be crazy enough to dream with God and say yes. That, that he had his first opportunity. You have a dream. Oh, God, I'm going to preach to 100,000 people. He asked his pastor to preach, and his pastor lets him have the meeting after the meeting with 12 women. But you know what happened? Because he continued to say yes, he, he ministered to those 12 women. And what happened in that room that day, a whole nation was turned upside down. And sometimes we count, well, I, I don't know if it's worth it giving it up. I would say, I would say you need to count the opposite. What are you leaving at the ta- on the table for not fully embracing everything God has for you? Like, what do you leave at the table? Because the Lord is, he's gentle. The Lord told me years ago, you could have as much as me if you want. That's as much of him or as little of him. And so sometimes I think to myself, how many things or opportunities have I missed in my life because I'm worried about how it's going to financially work out or what Joe Schmo is going to think or what my family is going to think? And, and hear, hear me today. I feel like that's the cost we should really count. Not how much am I giving up or how much money have I lost? How much money do you think we've given following Jesus? I would, I would seriously say it's been over $30,000 following the Lord. But here's the truth. Every time we surrender and we give of ourselves, the Lord gives us a new revelation of who he is. And one of the fundamental issues I feel we have today, we say, well, I, in heaven, if you read what's going on in heaven, all they're doing is worshiping. You need to read some of the visions that John had where they're circling his throne and they're holy, 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 and they're, and, and they're worshiping him. And I feel the reason they, they continue to stay in this posture of worship is because they continually have a new revelation of who he is. And so I would say to you, I wonder if the reason it's hard to enter in would be because you're living off of an old revelation of who he is. Entering into the presence of God is, is not difficult. The Bible tells us we enter in with thanksgiving. His gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. And this was the progression that we would go in, even in the Old Testament, to enter into the Holy of Holies. And that's the goal. We are not a church that is gathered around system and strategies. We gather around the presence. The goal is not to put you on some machine to try to figure out how to use you. The goal is to put you in the middle of his presence and say, what are you, what are you burning for in your heart? What are you passionate about? What has God put inside of you? 
And so the Lord is saying, come, come. You say, well, I don't know how to come. I will say to you today, this Palm Sunday, as you reflect on what the Lord is doing and what he did, that you would enter in with thanksgiving. That you would begin to look around your life and say, God, I see you moving here. And you would begin to physically thank him. Thanksgiving is about what he is doing and what he has done. And once you begin to see what he's done, you begin to understand who he is. It changes you. You begin to move from, God, I thank you for provision. God, I thank you for that healing to understanding. God, I thank you that you are provider. God, I thank you that you are healer. You understand what I'm saying? And once you enter into this place, you begin to know him. And so I would ask you today, what is more important than knowing him? Sometimes it's hard for me. Can I just be honest? It's hard for me to even think about what it would be like to preach an Easter sermon because like, I feel like we, we preach with a resurrected perspective every week. <laughs> it's like uh, Easter, yeah, that's, he did, but like, I believe Jesus is alive every Sunday. Like every Sunday I'm like, God, like, well, if you weren't here, I don't want to be here. And, and if you're and like, I, I just, let's go pack up and let's go watch a movie. But because we live with the perspective that he came, and any single Sunday you can come into this church and all of your sins can be wiped away. And all of your hopes, dreams, and desires can come alive. We come in and we begin to see what he does. And as we steward what he's done, we begin to know the way he does things. And so how does this change you? You get to the place in your faith where when things happen to you, you begin to, you begin to it just hits you in your mind. It's not going to end this way. The people that are saying, come on, have lived this. Because something happens and you're like, panic mode, panic mode, panic mode. And then you come to the realization, oh, I've already been through this. You begin to remember the times you've thanked him. I don't know who this is for today. I wasn't even going to go this way. You begin to thank him and then you go, you know what? I can stand firm. The Bible says, well, you don't know what else to do but stand. Stand. The Bible also says, be still. Say, be still. Be still and know that I am God. Sometimes I think we struggle with the knowing God because we don't know how to be still. My life is in chaos. Who can give me a prophetic word? What sermon? Let me go on YouTube. I will find a sermon for this. When sometimes there's power in this. Sometimes, how about when we're driving down the road, just shut off the radio. Like, go up to your room, tell your kids, like, throw on some YouTube. They'll be fine for 15 minutes. It's terrible parenting. I'm kidding. But, but, just, but, just, but just block everything else out and ask the Lord, what do you say about this? And so on this Palm Sunday, as we reflect, here's what's in my heart. I'm going to ask you again, what have you done or what are you doing with your encounter? I don't know about you, and I, I, would, I, would, I would say that you don't want to be a part of, of a movement or any type of group of people. That There would be people that on Sunday would say one thing with their lips and on Monday live another. 
but that we would people that we would live with a resurrection perspective. What does that mean? Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, my situations are going to change. Because Jesus is alive, he has put resurrection power inside of me to not only live with that perspective, but to release it. And so now situations around me, they have to change. You say, well, the world is overcome with darkness. It's because it's lacking light. Because everybody likes to sing this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine inside of four walls. But what, what will happen when you begin to shift your perspective is people around you will begin to notice there's something different about you. This person doesn't just sing Hosanna on Sundays. They live it on Monday. And they believe it on Tuesday. They trust it on Wednesday. And it becomes a lifestyle where you begin to walk with the Lord. Listen, I know, some, I know this is hard. And if I got up here, I had a message about revival, you'd be like, yeah. But I hunger in my spirit for us to be a church that we would not only talk the talk, but we would walk the walk. Amen. That I would not be dictated that would not be dictated by my experience because how many of you have had a bad experience this week? Listen, my kid was sick this week. I, I changed like one diary a diaper and that was enough. <laughs> my wife was gone. She's like, why would you say, I'm sorry. Cut it from the podcast. <laughs> but in those moments, like, I'm not, I'm not even talking about going to save the world. I'm just talking about in my everyday routine of life. Where, like, sometimes life feels overwhelming and it feels tiring and I don't know what to do and I don't have the answers. And there's this pressure and this pressure to buy more and do more and be more. I just feel the Lord saying, would you just, would you just remain on the side and continue to bless me? Would you just continue to keep your eyes and not let Hosanna be words, but let it be something you live. So here's what I want to do. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? I just want to pray over you today. Last week we had this big emotional thing that happened, and I just really want us, as we go into, the, into Holy Week, and that's what we're going into, that we would begin to be people that we would, every single day of the week, we would keep our eyes on him. So before I do that, I just want to very simply say, if you're here today and you say, man, I, I struggled this week and, um, and I messed up, and you just like, I'm just going to make it real simple. I just need a do-over. Would you just raise your hand right now so I know how to pray? Who else? Yeah, who else? All around the room. I just want to pray for you because you're not going to leave here with that guilt. So, Father, right now, Father, you saw all the hands that went up. And, God, I thank you right now that you paid the price for us to live in freedom. And, God, I thank you that all what you ask us to do is to believe in you. So, Father, we put our faith and our trust in you today. And we say that all freedom, all bondage has to go right now in the name of Jesus. God, I ask that your presence would touch every single person here, God. That there would be no... Um, guilt, shame, condemnation. But Father, that we would be leave today feeling whole. And God, further, I pray this week, hmm, 
as all of us go into Holy Week, God, that it would be more than just an emotional moment. That we would live, that we would live with this perspective that you are holy and you are good and you are righteous throughout the whole week. That we would worship you not just with our words but with our life. And God, I ask right now that you would give us eyes to see. That we would have eyes to see things for what they really are. God, I thank you for every single person that is here. And I ask that you would bless them, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.